You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode 68. Today we have a very special best of the 90s cast, so put on your Doc Martens, flannels, and colored jeans, or just wear your leggings and platform sandals. It's time to grab a Mellow Yellow or Jolt Cola, or better yet, make a Cosmo or Sex on the Beach for everyone. We'll party like it's 1999 because all the co-hosts from this season are involved in this one. But let's start off with this episode's host, Rob Heitman, and the creator of the dance you all love. That's right, the Macarena, Jacob Newkirk. Come on, let see him, let me Something like that, right? Good words there. Yeah. Jake's dancing, though. He showed me the dance. I, I forgot it. what it was. Welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast. We'll rank the Dirty Dozen or top 12 songs from the entire 90s. Man. Entire 90s. Oh, my God. First of all, I'd like to thank everybody who's been active on Facebook and the community. It's just been amazing this year. I'm not going to go through names today, but we've had such a good turnout from over 100 artist suggestions for bands we're going to do next year to over 100 votes on every poll that we've done so far for the artists we'll be covering next year. And so far, the scheduling includes Weezer, Alice Cooper, System of a Down, Almond Brothers, Black Sabbath, The Police, Garth Brooks, Huey Lewis in the News, The Lonely Island, and U2. Anyway, Jake, how do you enjoy the 90s, man? Living in them or uh, reliving them Reli- through this podcast? Reliving pod? through the podcast, yeah. Man, I feel blessed to have gone up in the 90s and had the musical enlightening period of my life. Because looking back at a lot of other decades, they're not as good. I don't know if it's just we're partial to being around at that time. Yeah, some of the best music ever in the early 90s is just like in that space. Yeah. And even in the late 90s, there's some really good music. But that like 91-ish. I agree. To 94, 95 in that space. Some of my favorite bands still to this day. It's fantastic. And we did uh, 1990 last week. Oh, so much fun. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite episodes. So check that out if you haven't, but I'm sure you have already. Join me in a belt of scotch. It's 9.30 in the morning. Yeah, but I haven't slept in days. Now we're going to be drinking something. We have a couple things we're drinking, but we'll start off with the cocktail that I made because I am a geek. (laughs) <laughs> it's called morning glory okay jake give me one ingredient that's in it what do you think i'm gonna say whiskey only because it's the uh yes there's rye whiskey in there okay but, yeah i don't know there's okay there's an ounce of rye whiskey this is per glass an ounce of cognac or brandy mm. in this case some orange liqueur oh that's what i'm getting a dash of absinthe okay so you should just taste that little tiny taste of that no, it shouldn't be overpowering at all. Some simple syrup, some bitters, hmm. and uh, one or two ounces of club soda with a little lemon. Wow. Yeah, yeah it was, it's fancy That's what fancy. I was going to say, Jaeger, but I guess the absinthe is kind of similar to that. I thought there was ginger, but now it makes sense, the orange yeah. liqueur. Yeah, it's orange liqueur and that absinthe gets that little tang of something. Yeah, You're not quite spice. sure what it is. Right. Yeah. What do you think? That's interesting. Yeah, it's complex. A lot going on. I like it. Yeah, it's nice, a little refreshing, not too heavy, not going to... Mm-hmm. It's not a wheel try a drink, as I told Jake before. <laughs> Those drinks were like yeah. 100% alcohol, everything 110 yeah. proof. This is not a challenge to drink. proof or whatever. There's no ever clear in this one. <laughs> and we're also going to be drinking some Guinness as a backup, so we're not making cocktails to win the show, all that sort of thing. So before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing the songs of the 90s, and we'll share about 20 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight, and then we may do a second clip. We have made a Spotify playlist, just searched best songs of the 90s, to listen to our list. This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to the artists we discuss. We've also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast. So subscribe once and always be updated. <laughs> <laughs> the way this works is we combine all of this season's co-hosts, top 12 lists, and a lightly weighted media list, actually, to create 
the official Dirty Dozen for the 90s. I'm going to count down the official list from 12 to 1. Nice and simple. Since there were no songs on note today, because everybody didn't submit one and it would be forever long, I decided to include three honorable mention songs. And the first one is called Umbop by Hanson. <laughs> it's one of the most surprising songs of the year on the cast, not because of the song, but because of what oh. happened between Hanson and one of our co-hosts in real life. This was in the 1997 podcast. 97, okay. It was number 10 for the year, but it's not about the song. It's about what happened with the song. Mm. Here we go. Okay. Speaking of manly songs, this is Jeff's four overall. Yeah. This is by a trio of musicians. No. Are you serious from Oklahoma? Called Hanson. Oh, come on. They ripped us off, by the way. They ripped PC well, I, Quest look, off. Look, I didn't know you had a personal vendetta. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, yeah. hold on, wait. Hold on. Hold on. The, the name of the song is Mbop. It's and, a great pop song. And it's our, our number 10. But Steve, before we start on, on that, let's just continue with that. What was the beef between PC Quest, which is a boy band that Steve was in in the early 90s, and, and the boys All from right, Hanson? so... PC Quest was a real band. We were a singing group that was legit. We came out. It was wrong timing. New Kids on the Block got caught lip syncing, and that whole thing happened. It was wrong timing. We had good songs, whatever. I'm glad it didn't, like, go crazy, because yeah. then it leaves you... <laughs> Me too, because I'd be super disappointed. Well, it leaves you open to be able to reinvent yourself pretty fast. So my brother was kind of fronted PC Quest as mm-hmm. kind of like the Michael Jackson of the Jackson 5. Right. The young voice, super talented. And he's the lead the singer of thing. Shiny Toy Guns yeah. right now. Right? And he had the long hair. Yeah. Hanson comes out, where, and they're from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is two hours away. And we were big around that time when they were kind of budding. And the guy looks just like my brother. He ripped off the look, the whole thing. And we're like, what the hell? What is this? And then the timing, which is weird, but timing happens where people forget that all these people are lip syncing or whatever, and then it ushers in a new move of the Beatle kind of bands of 1990s. So I look at that and go, yeah, I see through that stuff. However, it is a good song. I'll give you that. Okay, Dude, I did not want to open a wound. I apologize <laughs> for that. Goodness gracious, if I had known. Well, He's that starting was so to tear good. up a little bit. Wow. Man, I did not and mean young, to pierce your heart like they're that. They're like two hours from us. Like, Look, they knew those our kid, gig. Those kids they can knew sing. They do that no, song they're live. good. They're good. Yeah. And they're hanging in there. They're still right. trying to do stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I did not mean to open that wound. Like I actually, I don't even want to do this, but if oh, you, if you look at a picture of my brother at that time. I need to. Are we and then put you this look up? a picture and you look at a picture of the Hanson guys when they came out. Right, it right, is sure. ridiculous. Yes. And it it was five years later, four years later or whatever. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Anyway, it's a good pop song. It's a good pop song. <laughs> it was maybe maybe a little high on my list, but it's a fun poppy song. It was popular you know, people, know, when you play it, people know it. Well, it's interesting. I mean, they all can obviously sing, right? Yeah. And they all actually play their own instruments. One of the kids is 11, one's 16, one's 13. When you can write your own songs mm-hmm. and actually make massive hits like this, even though if you hear them talking about Mbop, it's, it's like the di- third iteration of it, it or it's, something. It's yeah. like some deep meaning. Mbop is the feeling that, I'm like, shut up. Mbop <laughs> 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 is something that, that you heard that sound like the Jackson 5. I got it. I get yeah, it. It's not even, but, this is Jeff's top 10 of all time songs. Uh, it, is. But, <laughs> no, it is. But, Talk about posters in my room. But I tell you, Zach Hansen, who's the drummer, uh-huh. he was 11 years and seven months old when this hit the top of the Hot 100. Number one, right? Yeah, number one. 
and this made him the youngest group member ever to co-write or perform a number one hit. I think it's kind of interesting. Just from the idea of Hanson, you know, when you look at it from a Beavis and Butthead sort of view or right. any of these other things, they, they're talented. I, I didn't own the album. But for me, I'm like, if you can create a following, if you can be a musician, put yourself out there and write, no matter if you're copying PC Quest hairstyle, you're going to have your hits. And to be actually be able to do a hit, whether or not it's going to be my favorite or something I'm going to be listening to, that's not the point. Right. That's not I, wasn't I, my I, point either. I always give credit to musicians who are out, actually there playing. They weren't. A lot of times people are ripping stuff off, like you were mentioning pre, I think. Mm-hmm. We talked about loops and stuff like that. They're actually playing. Yeah. And I give them credit. Let, let's just give I them agree. credit. That's I why agree. it's on my list. Good and, call. And again, I completely apologize. <laughs> I did not know that was going to open that wound like that. I am so sorry. I'm over it. I'm are over you, it. Are you sure? Wow. Okay. It's still true, and it's weird. He has a dartboard with Hanson on it in his room. It's crazy. Is that why there's an effigy in the studio? The Hanson brothers? I thought it was just because you were a fan, but apparently not. <laughs> well, he has umbop. He has it on his punching bag. It's like, umbop, yeah, exactly. umbop. Voodoo dolls of the Hanson brothers. I just thought he was a fan. I don't know. Uh, heads and everything. But the heads are off. I just remember weird. old leftover PC Quest fans were like, man, this band really ripped you guys off, and now they're making it. They're doing yeah. it. And I'm so, like, yeah. So Hanson fans like me... <laughs> Yeah. Right. Would have loved your band. Exactly. I got to hear that those demos. (laughs) All right. Let's listen to our number 10 song, Bop, by Hanson off of the Middle of Nowhere album, which is the state motto of Oklahoma, I think, right? (laughs) (laughs) That was very good, Rob. That was very funny. That was good. I enjoyed that. Okay. So let's listen. It's not the middle of nowhere, but you can actually see it from there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's listen to number 10, Bop. Here we go. Although it's interesting, there are like some, the producer of this mm. threw some scratches on there, threw some extra layering. Oh, there's loops on, on yeah, there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah they loops. were trying to, there's you know, they're making. But it, it does sound like 1997. Yeah, exactly. It does. Yeah. I give him that. Yeah. It was a Chorus is the king of that song. That particular one, the chorus is like the everything. Yep. <laughs> the verses were okay. <laughs> I just think Jeff really. Pre- you know, he goes into that scenario. Jeff, you know, he does a lot of the podcasts as co-host when Jake's not around or whatever. And he's like defends himself like immediately when he says it. My favorite, my fourth favorite song is Mbop by Hanson. But it's a really good song. And I really. <laughs> you kind of have to. I feel like there's a little bit of shame in that. Even though you can acknowledge like this is an important song. There's just the fact that it's on your list. You kind of have to. I was, I was shocked it was at there. four. And I'm just... Yeah, that is pretty high. <laughs> Steve is clearly not over the hairstyle uh, ripoff by Hanson. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can tell. And once again, I, I just thought that was funny. Out of nowhere that that came up. That is a good moment. Yeah. And it was funny. And the rest of the episode, when we went through it, I would call back whenever Jeff had anything bad to say or something. I would just throw that a little clip of Umbop in there. <laughs> it's like, you just can't say anything. That's it. You, you can't escape can't. it now. No, no. It was all stuff. All right. So let's move from the first time I'll mention to the second one. This one was from 1985. Jake, you did this with Ben. Ben, yeah. The number one song of that episode was actually Ben's number one song of the 90s. Oh. Which was Good by Better Than Ezra. Okay. Good choice. And it didn't make the list, so I thought, given an honorable mention, because it's Ben's number one song, and it didn't make our list. You remember that song, I do, yeah. 
That, I think it was on my list, was it not? It was, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. yeah it, I was the one that wasn't on the list. Oh, okay. This is the one, yeah, for this. You'll hear about it. Anyway, let's look back to 1995, or at least the podcast of 1995. Let's go. And the worst thing about this is it's not one of my songs. <laughs> Uh, I, right. don't, I don't have the song at number one. I don't have the song on my list at all. Really? But the great thing is that I actually get to play a joke by one of my favorite comedians of all time because it links perfectly with our number one, the late, great Norm MacDonald. And in music news, number one on the college charts this summer was Better Than Ezra. And at number two, Ezra. <laughs> My little boom. Norm Macdonald uh, moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. The name of the song is good. It's the number one song overall. Wow. Which, of course, is by Better Than Ezra. So you actually had this on your list, Jake. I did. It, it's one of those songs, whenever it comes up, it's just like, yeah, that surprisingly good band that I didn't really listen to on purpose. But they had songs all over the place. A chunk of good tunes. And when I think of 90s... It, kind of radio era this song was this one's up there yeah this one i listen to all the time kevin griffin the lead singer wrote this song as a breakup song but as finding the good in that situation they were influenced by pixies as well who has also <laughs> influenced nirvana so that's why sometimes yeah. they had comparison to nirvana through there i really like the bass as the main instrument well it's the bass Sorry. and the drums and all well, the bass and the drums for, right for jake who just wants to yeah, give him some props. Yeah. <laughs> have the drums for him the rhythm section is great yeah <laughs> later yeah. part where the guitar comes in like the riffs that's going on there during the verse you have a little bit of the synth it's kind of buried in there but you do hear a little bit of the synth uh, this is another song you just kind of heard everywhere this is and still I, do i can see why this became number one yeah it pops up still to this day and i think that says something yeah it's it's a good good song and griffin actually after better than ezra broke up griffin ended up writing for other acts including james blunt he wrote i'll be really? your man and uh, Sugarland, Stuck Like Glue, and Howie Day. He's like a big songwriter now. That's what he does. Good for him. Veteran Ezra was never one of those bands that filled arenas by their own. They kind of had a solid fan base, though, and mm -hmm. they're, they're good. All right, let's listen to the number one song overall, Good, by Veteran and Ezra. It's actually great, but they just wanted to say good because they're <laughs> humble people. All right, let's listen to number Because they're already showboating about being better than <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, let's listen to number one, Good. The best song of 1995. I can make it hard sometimes. Well, that's what she said. But... Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's like he was trying to get through he was doing it. It was like going really well, and I was like, and I was like, no, but you have to use the drums because Jake's here. You can't just ignore the drums. <laughs> and completely blew his rhythm off. He's like, uh, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that insight. <laughs> I think it's probably right if you think about it. What the, the bass was there? It really wasn't the drums. Oh yeah, yeah, that's. The hook, right? Yeah. And that was Ben's number one song of the entire 90s. Wait, but that also happens with another one of our members. Hmm. Somebody's number one didn't make the list. Is it me? And Jake, <laughs> it's not you. Okay. Somebody is a big Tool fan, and that Tool fan is Ralph. And Enema is his number one song of the 90s. 
So he's oh. he's a big tool head, I guess. I didn't know that about him. Yeah. That was a great album. It was in 96 we talked about it. And it was the number three for that year, actually. And Ralph, of course, was on the cast. Mm-hmm. So let's look back, almost like an enema, but with an A and an E in there instead of. You, you like Tool, right? Oh, yeah. A lot. I mean, I went through a phase, especially in, like when this album came out. Oh, man. It was it was like over and over. I would just listen to it and trying to uh, hone my drum chops at the time, too, and copying Danny Carey and stuff. Not so much these days, but I still put them up there and as a, a great band. It's definitely important in the 90s. Yeah. The first time I found Tool, I played it over and over and over and over again. I've just yeah. played with it all the time. and. Oh, no, oh, not the band. Um. <laughs> anyway, let's do a wrench, maybe? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 1996. And Enema, here we go with the last honorable mention, and we'll get into the good stuff in a second. And it's one of the best musician bands ever. This is off of the Enema album. Enema, I always say it wrong, by Tool, and the name of it is. Anima, which is kind of a mixture of anima, which represents the perfect female encoded inside every man. It's called anima. And anima, as we all know, is flushing the colon out with water. Yes. Good old <laughs> so, tool. And anima for tool. This is your number one. This is not on anybody else's list. I had another tool song, which I love on this album, which didn't make the list, which we'll see later. Let's go talk about this one. Go ahead. One of my favorite albums of all time. So if it's a, I'm, it's a fantastic if album. I'm stuck on a desert island and I'm only able to take 20 albums, this is one of them. If you're only allowed to take 10, it's still one of them. Very possible. That's fantastic, though. Um, this song is a musical journey for me. I think it's about six and a half, seven minutes long. Just from the starting of the bass line, the guitar work, the drumming in the middle section of the song, and then Maynard, the lead singer, just his lyrics and the way he sings this song is just off the charts for me. Seems to be about the fault lines in California and the speculation on what might happen with a major earthquake in California falls into the ocean. The only downfall of this song, I don't know if you got a clean version, but there's a lot of F words in here. I don't have a clean version. Yeah, well, listen, that's fine with me. Just part of the lyrics, retro anything. All you junkies and your short memories. I love that line. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. I love this band. I love this song. Once again, if you guys listening do not have this in your catalog, please give it a listen. It's a harder edged band, but the musicianship, like Rob mentioned, is off the charts. It is off the charts good. This is arguably their best album of all time. You and I won't even have to argue about yeah, that. You I and know. I argue I, about I, I a lot it. of things, but, but this is their it best is fantastic. album. fantastic, yeah, yeah. And this song was actually inspired by Tool when they were performing for some Scientologists in LA. They saw all the disciples wasting their life devoted to meaningless things. Mm. That's how the song kind of came about. Out. Heavy from the beginning. What a great riff. Love the bass and drums underneath the verse. Yeah. The chorus, the build is just so great. And then it explodes. Maynard has such great tone. The musicianship, as you said, always impresses. The drum pattern is great with the yeah. bass. They, the way they interrelate and the way they hit. And some of the hi-hat work as the beat stays straight is really impressive. Like you'll hear the beat going straight, but you, if you listen to the hi-hat and the cymbal work, 
it is crazy what he, what's happening on the side and he's still able to keep the beat i'm just so blown away as a musician i love the guitar work in the bridge sort of soaring and echoing learn to swim <laughs> yeah the learn to swim part is off the chart all right so let's listen to number three song overall it made up this high so you know it's good enema we're being so nice to each other tonight That's all, i know because you're actually making good choices <laughs> today <laughs> What's going on? What the freak is going on? I don't know. Although you picked the most vulgar least uh, yes, songs I did. to pick. Yes, I did. It, I put that in my notes. Sorry about and that, And you everyone. made it your number one, so there's no yeah, chance of yeah, mine getting no, it. Listen, this, this has got to be up there. <laughs> All right, so let's listen to number three, Yanima by Tool. Let's listen. So 96, I, I love. Mm. Not that I don't love all the rest. <laughs> one of my favorites for the year. So Despite check all that one the out. Um, censoring of Ralph's potty mouth. Yes. There. Yeah. He's a very, <laughs> he's very vulgar sometimes. <laughs> Maybe that's more of an incentive to go and check that out. And I remember that CD opening up and there was like this hologram cover where you could take the booklet out and put in different sleeves, parts of it, and like move it up and down and see like California disappearing into the ocean. And Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's cool. And like the front, there's a smoke box. With, see, like you a need to be out at the same everything. time. Yeah, I could have uh, brought That's a smoke box? Like, yeah, the whole cover of the album, if you turn upside down, it's like this like white box that's like coming out at you. And there's some other stuff in there where there's like, they're on a couch watching this guy fillet himself so you can move it up and down and he's like, <laughs> oh my God, really? <laughs> oh my. Uh, yeah, I should have brought the uh, CD case over. You could yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll put that part on the site no we won't (laughs) (laughs) oh anyway let's jump into the main event ladies and gentlemen welcome to the main event the top 12 of the 90s the entire 90s and jake's gonna hate the first one Probably. And, which is great because it's by a band he loves, but it's not the song that he chose. Oh, okay. Well, as long as they made it. Yeah. It's a 1992 podcast. The number one song for that year. The name of the artist is Allison Chains. Great. But it's the last one. And it's Rooster Off of Dirt, which is, I know, your favorite song off of Dirt. Uh, every time it comes on... Or, or when you're seeing them play, you're like, I'm going to go get a beer. It's a good song, though. It really is. This was on Ralph's list, and it was on Jason's list, but it was high on Jason's list. It was in his top three. And I think that's what kind of swayed it. It was so close between You Had Man in a Box, the fact that he had it in the top three. It's, yeah. It gave a little bonus point for it. If I don't And that know. did that. Yeah. So it's just crazy to me because I think of 90s, and that's like one of the first bands that comes to mind. But okay. Well, I know. There's other bands in here that you're going to hate. <laughs> but that's the problem. Like, we, we get all Thanks. of the... Let me brace myself. All the 90s by all of us. It's yeah. not just you and I doing right. cast. It it's is just, really cool just to see how yeah. all... You throw it all in a blender and see what kind of rises to the top. It's fun. So let's listen to number 12, Rooster, as we talked about it with Jason in 1992. What a fantastic tune. The bass works so well with the clean strum on the intro. And the ooze ain't finding a way to kill me yet cuts through the mix and so strong especially when coupled with the wah of the lead guitar. The chorus mm-hmm. is great. Almost feels hypnotic and then slammed by heavy guitars. Obviously, this song means a little bit more to me because my father was in Vietnam. Mm. 
It gets stronger and stronger as the song moves, finally escalating at the bridge, and it drops so suddenly in dynamic feel. Yep. It's sort of a... The way I look at this is every time he says, they come to snuff the rooster, that's when the attack happens. That's when the Viet Cong hits, and all of a sudden it blows up into this maelstrom of violence and Mm -hmm. chords and heaviness. They've come to snuff the rooster, and then boom, it explodes in fury again, and then it softly ends. It was inspired by Jerry's dad, whose nickname was Rooster. He served with the 101st Hmm. Airborne, and he got the name because he was perceived cocky, and his hair kind of stood up. I'll let you continue. You know, Alice in Chains is such an incredibly diverse band. I love the strumming guitar at the beginning, the falsetto vocals, the vocal harmony. Uh, One of my favorite things about Alice in Chains is their harmony notes on the vocal. Because they don't hit traditional harmony notes. They actually use the space between the lead vocal and the harmony note, which creates some really diverse dimensions in their piece of music. I'm glad we actually matched on Rooster. I think it's the right pick. I'm glad it made number one. That, that lyric about snuffing the rooster just to me was so incredible and profound. The Tan Hunt! Gentlemen, my name is Sergeant Dick Leakey. Some call me the Rooster. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, they come to snuff the rooster. <laughs> War song, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about, and, and I'll, I'll stray into the technical area a little bit here. If you think about metal songs that are in a minor key and you walk down a minor scale, that's something that metal has been doing forever. Right, right, right. right. But Alice in Chains do it differently. They linger, hold notes for a beat and a half. I think, what a is beat it, the flat quarters. fifth? They have that note that just makes it just yeah dark. It's 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 a hundred percent dark. Probably the devil's note. If you asked, uh, you know, Bible thumpers from you know fifty years ago, but the lingering is a thing that we'll hear a lot in Alice in Chains, and they won't just simply walk down one, two, three, four, and walk down a minor scale. They'll linger. And then they'll dabble in a couple of notes before re- resolving on a minor note. If you want to really get into Alice in Chains, if you love Alice in Chains, really listen to episode seven. Jake, my co-host in episode seven, yep. my co-host for most of these, he actually went to dinner with Alice in Chains. He knows the guys from Alice in Chains, and he has a lot to say about this. So really check that one out. Mm-hmm. If you want to really get an insider's view, Jake has an insider's view on Alice in Chains. Anyway... Let's listen to Rooster by Alice in Chains off of Dirt. Let's listen. That is a great tune, and the, the story behind it and everything. And, and yeah. you guys had some really good points and call-outs. So. Yeah, I just I still love that back and forth and the, yeah. the the dynamic shifts, you know, feeling like you're in combat and all that stuff. Uh, Dirt is just a fantastic album, period. Oh, my God, yeah. I could could be their best album, depends on who you ask. It's one of my favorite albums yeah, by them, for, for sure. sure. Uh, but, yeah. So, uh, once again, Jason had that in his top three, and Ralph also had that song on his list. But let's move to number 11. In 1994, there's this little band called Blues Traveler, and uh, they had a song called Run Around, and that actually is our number 11. Do you like Blues Traveler? But they have harmonica, so you must like them a little bit. Kind of. He's just too fat for me. No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> he's fat shaming. Actually, you know what? John um, Popper. I have a funny story. I went to see Super Suckers at um, Viper Room once. And, and explain uh, to people what Super Suckers is, just uh, in case they don't know. They were know. a band from Seattle, but they played like straight rock, but also country and just three piece, but they're, they're really solid, really good. And who else? They were playing with another band that night at Viper Room, but. Wasn't Super Suckers mm-hmm. in that tool cover? <laughs> Super <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> But yeah, that, the same night I met Mike Judge, actually, he was there a little bit earlier. And he had like, they had little tables on the side. No, they're reserved. But it's funny, while I'm watching Super Suckers, um, the singer from Blues Traveler was there. Um, a lot skinnier now because I think he had some surgery. Yeah, he had a, it's, it's and he had a his cane or whatever. He had a cane with him and like some people. And you could tell he was really drunk and he was getting drunker and drunker. And I was kind of next to him standing while he was sitting at his booth. And he was just getting sloppy, and he like was spilling drinks. He dropped his cane. I like picked it up and gave it back to him, yeah. but it was just kind of embarrassing. You should have picked it up and ran. Yeah, and sold, sold it on eBay. eBay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for tens of cents. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's just a funny story. So it's that whenever you see a glimpse of like people's humanity, it kind of brings it down a little bit. But you had to imagine he was like this huge dude. Yeah, and, and he could drink anything he wanted to, and he would not get that drunk. Yeah. But then when you go through all of that surgery and you're finally back out and you lose yeah, two to three hundred pounds it'll hit you and, and he's sitting there and he's drinking what he used to drink because he's back and his stomach's expanded enough so he can start drinking it. Yeah. But anyway, yes, I, I actually really like this when it came out. Is it um, Run Around? Is that the song? Yeah, Run yeah, Around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, amazing harmonica player and a solid uh, backing band. And this was on my list, Jason's list and Ben's list. Well, let's just go back. Rewind to 1994. Let's see what it looks like. Off of the four album, and the song is Run Around. Good song. It's a great album. It really is. I could have picked four or five songs off of this album. No one else would have, but this is the one I think stood out more than anything Well, Hook else. is the other one that you Hook, Just Wait is a great song. It and then really Mountains is. Went Again. Yeah. Mountains Went Again is great. I mean, there's a, quite a few songs in here. We used to play this in a cover band we did in uh, college and grad school, actually. Oh, really? So this was one I used to sing. I didn't sing the chorus. I sang the verse. Well, I'm waiting. I'm not going to do it a cappella. That's not happening. But it's a great feel. Straight ahead chords. The harmonica is great. We had a guy who played harmonica. It was awesome. Yeah. So catchy. As good as? I guess. Okay. For a bar band. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's so catchy. Enough. The rapid fire lyrics. I just love John Popper. He's fantastic. Though they were only friends. John Popper wrote the song about a crush he had on the band's original bassist. Mm-hmm. She actually became a doctor and left music behind. They're still friends, but only friends still. Oh, really? And he alludes to... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe in the beginning, Once Upon a Midnight, Dreary is in Poe and it's right. Deary yeah. on here. Chuck Lavelle played keys from the Allman Brothers and he also <laughs> toured with the Rolling Stones. USC fighter? No, not that one. The same <laughs> yeah, pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's not the USC fighter, no, but darn. he played with the Allman Brothers and he's a keyboard player and he tours with the Rolling Stones now. This won a Grammy. It stayed on the Hot 100 for 49 weeks. I love Blues Traveler. I do too. Love John's lyrics and vocals i think the harmonica and the guitar in other songs it doesn't stand out as much in this song but but the harmonica's up front in this harmonica's up but they play well off of each other sure right they always play well off. i think the drums are great i think the bass is great it's just they're a good jam band they coalesced on this album there's some really great songs in this album and this is a fantastic song really is run around by blues traveler off the four album let's take a listen
so that was right around. Oh man, our time number eleven. How good are the nineties? If that's the number eleven song, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, mm. boy. No, anyway. <laughs> so Jake, yeah, obviously, run around's good. Blues Travel's good. Yeah, you should have stole his cane, but you didn't. But we'll we'll all get over that. <laughs> Just imagine right now, Jake could be holding John Popper's cane, or or John Popper's bodyguards could have completely trashed yeah, Jake that night, <laughs> and he wouldn't even be here. He'd still be sitting in that booth, not able to leave. Yes, that's right. He would have been stuck. <laughs> All right, let's move to number ten. Jake's favorite band. At least we're gonna hit something that Jake loves here. Good. In 1994, this was the number six song of that year. This was in Alan's top three songs. Period. This was on my list, actually at the back of my list. It was on Ben's list as well. Self-Esteem by The Offspring. Oh, God. <laughs> I was expecting a good song. <laughs> Jake really loves The Offspring. He just says he doesn't. You got me all excited, and then you said that. <laughs> wow, even Alan picked this? This is Alan this in Alan's wheelhouse. top three. Yeah. Wow. He really loves the song, so it's a killer song. But let's go back to 1994, and look at the mayhem that happened when we discussed Self-Esteem. Let's go. To appreciate Jake when he's not here is one of his least favorite bands of all time. And one of my favorite bands of 94. Whose camp will I be in? This will be interesting. The Offspring and off of the Smash album, which I believe is one of their best albums, even if you don't like them too much. This okay. is my number yeah. three and it's a number six overall. And I went with self-esteem. Hmm. I think Jake and I are in the same camp, but for this year, this is a big song and or album. Yeah. I even love the La La vocal in the main melody line. <laughs> Again, huge heavy rotation here in SoCal. It was originally going to be an acoustic guitar. It wasn't supposed to be the La La's, yeah. The bass line is so up front and so good. Mm -hmm. The guitar tone has that really good, dirty tone that I love. And Dexter's voice is really great on this one. He's another smart dude, by the way. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. I think we've talked talked about about that in a different podcast, so I won't go too much into that. The chords fell into that grungy sound, almost teen spirit-like. Yeah, right. But yep, the melody yep. isn't. No. It's not a copy of anything. The song is about a guy who lets his girlfriend walk all over him because he has no self-esteem. And it's a semi-true story based on some experiences and some experiences his friends had. Mm. The thing where late at night she knocks on my door was real. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, fantastic tune. It's always a good song. It's a sing-along. But when I think of 94, this is one of the songs that just pops into my head. Oh, interesting. It had a good structure. It was driving. The La La La's at the beginning probably didn't start it out great for me, but I think it picked up as the song went on. Once you mentioned the acoustic guitar, I can see they probably wanted that. And he's like, well, just do it like this. La 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 La. I think that's how they did it on the demo. And then yeah, the producer absolutely. actually kind of liked it. Yeah, exactly. Hey, just keep that in. All right. So let's listen to Self Esteem by The Offspring off of that wonderful album Smash. Let's listen. All right, that's self-esteem, our number six. Really good bass line in that song. Yeah. Yeah. We're moving right along, and that's why Alan likes it, you know? Yep. Pretty straightforward there. That makes sense, man. <laughs> We're moving right along. Let's move to number nine. This is my... What do you think of Radiohead, by the way? That's another band I admire who they are and what they do and kind of their approach. And I've, I have a couple CDs somewhere, but I tried and couldn't be a super fan. I can still like listen to some some songs and appreciate it. I think I had OK Computer mm-hmm. and then... Um, Pablo Honey? No, uh, Kid A. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It was a little more experimental in the yeah. Um, a well-timed well, album when I was like digging into it and kind of exploring, and, and that one was was pretty neat. Well, this one's off of Pablo Honey, and the name of the song is Creep. Good, that makes sense. This song, yeah, it's so nineties. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It doesn't really represent, I think, Radiohead. It's definitely a song that's no, everywhere. No, I totally agree. But uh, Ralph had this in his top three. Okay. And I had this on my list. Stave had this on his list. Hmm. And the media had it on his list as well. Makes sense. Let's take a listen to what happened in 93. This is Alan's podcast, by the way. So let's rewind back to 93 and see what happened. By an artist called Radiohead off of an album called Pablo Honey. And the song is Creep. Yes, it is. And was that the song you were thinking of, by the way? Oh, yeah. You can really hear the Nirvana influence in this song. Subdued, clean tone guitar in the verses. And an in-your-face dirty guitar comes crashing in on the choruses. The songwriting is very clever. The same chord progression through the whole song, but it's not obvious because it's done with different levels of dynamics and instrumentation. They do a similar thing to what I mentioned with the Aerosmith song earlier, the major chord followed directly by the same minor chord, in which the tension of the minor chord coincides with the point of maximum angst in the lyrics, where he's saying, I wish I was special. And the lyrics are disturbing. F-bombs galore, and you never know if the songwriter is just in kind of a funk, or if he's feeling so down he's ready to go out and slit his wrists. It was written before the band formed, actually. He was infatuated with a girl, but never had the courage to walk up to her. And he followed her around like a creep. And he finally got himself drunk enough to build up the courage to confess his obsession with her. And she freaked out and just ran away. Wow. And the three blasts of the guitar noise that precede the chorus was a result of Johnny Greenwood, his guitarist, trying to sabotage a tune he considered too wimpy. Wow. But for me, that's one of the best parts of the song. Absolutely. That just, it just, the power is so compelling. The rawness of the dirty guitar and the power of this song and the implied desperation in the lyrics just makes this song so compelling. You can't not listen to it. And they had problems with the song. He felt like this song made them feel like a one-hit wonder. And he hated, 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 do I say it enough? Hated the thought of the radio version. He thought that it lost the anger by changing effing to very special. They're so special, I'm so effing special, is the way it's supposed to go. Yeah. And on the radio version. I wish I was special. You're so very special. <laughs> he hated that. He didn't feel like the song represented them. He kind of felt like he was trapped by the song. It wasn't necessarily who they were. They left it out of their set during the OK Computer tour. They really? just stopped playing it. Tom felt like he had to feel the emotion and the trueness of the song, and he kind of lost that for a while. They still play it now, but they were accused of ripping off grunge and momentarily lumped in with that genre. Right. Like you said, they sounded Nirvana-ish. But this is one of these songs that, even if you wanted to, you couldn't avoid the chorus in the 90s. Right. Uh, the dynamic shift in the tune. The falsetto on the bridge. Fantastic. Just one of the most iconic songs of the 90s. Absolutely. And definitely, whether or not Tom York loves the song or not anymore, this is the reason people know that Radiohead exists. Yeah. This is the reason they had the other albums and they had great albums like OK Computer, which is a much better a- album. But this song made that possible, I think. The lyrics complement the music and the music complements the lyrics. 
and you can't separate them. And, and that is just such clever and good songwriting, in my opinion. Absolutely. So let's listen to Creep, the best song of 1993. Take that, MFers. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I wish I was special. You're so fucking special. But I'm a I didn't know the story about him stalking her. That that's, yeah, that's adds a crazy. whole new dimension to the song. If you ask him about it, he doesn't necessarily tell that story a lot. Okay. But yeah, understandably it why. <laughs> it's a good song. And I, I love the backstory when you can get like, like the interesting things around it. And Alan always brings right. so much to the table. Yeah, I really liked his commentary on that song. And kind of what you were both were saying. It's like this jangly pop light sound. And then that aggressive guitar sounds so much more aggressive when it comes in and to just change strum. the dynamic. Yeah, right. It's just this insane heaviness. It's on this side of the spectrum where you were over here, you know? Yeah, totally with, totally with. So we're already through number nine. The 90s are awesome, as I said. And... This is a really tough one, too. This is another one that a lot of people split on. We have a, a band called the Black Crows that a lot of people like. And our number eight song is from the 1992 podcast. And it's Remedy off of the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion album. I read the Heart to Handle book, and I think I mentioned that. Yeah, I talked we were to you talking about, about that. that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. So good. And it makes you just want to dive into all of the stuff. Like Amorica and further on. Yeah. At the end. Lions yeah. and there's a lot of Lions yeah. I like a lot. Yeah, there's some good good albums there that weren't obviously as big as some of these like their debut or this oh, one. Oh yeah, yeah. Still. Yeah. yeah. But this is a good tune. 92. Also Remedy, yeah. It is. It's like one of those staple tunes, but it's more of a jam tune, I think. Mm-hmm. The the classic rock vibe's still there, but there was a little bit more of that they're opening up good uh, instrumentation and players and just kind of exploring that sound and then later on they start getting into more of the grateful dead sort of vibe yeah a little too much at getting, times he well chris started becoming a deadhead mm-hmm. and he used to make fun of the dead like early on and then later on he's like he went to a show and they treated him so well and then he started going to another show and another he's show join the cult show. <laughs> you know <laughs> all right <laughs> let's go back to remedy as we talked about it in the 1992 podcast Oh man, where do I start? It's one of my all-time favorites. My brief stint in a cover band. This is one of the songs we played. And it was a joy for me because I actually got to play out a little bit in in the keyboard sense, where I wasn't necessarily hiding behind the guitar all the time. And I had not heard the song prior to... You need to hide behind the guitar. <laughs> okay, I, I, look, I accept it. It's my typical role, you know. But in this situation, it was way more prominent. I had not heard the song prior to playing it in this cover band. It's since become one of my all-time favorites. Electric piano, bluesy riffs, the syncopated chorus, the vocal note bends. It was a blast to play. Um, it was fun to learn. My, my personal opinion, it's got to be the number one song of 92. And I know you support Chris Robinson when he says Remedy is a song that was essentially about freedom. We were into this whole idea that war on drugs was just silly and this asinine concept to me and other millions of people. So to me, freedom, plain and simple, the pro-marijuana stance that the band espouses is something that they help promote. And they've done all of the, they're on high times for this album and for the song. So it's very good that you're standing up. That's great. I love the beginning of this with the trio of chords that answered by the lead guitar mm-hmm. you know immediately this is a jam tune yep then the piano comes in which i can live without but <laughs> i'm just kidding with, with the rhythm section and, and it gets into that verse groove which yep. is great 
Chris's vocals are always great. I love his bluesy delivery. He does that really well. The chorus turns to R&B with background singers, mm-hmm. and it's so good. The There's background a call singers answer, right? take forward. Yeah. They actually lead it, and he answers it. They do the call, and he does the answer, which yeah. is awesome. Black Crow's fantastic. One of my favorite bands. It's sad that their brothers can't get along anymore. Right. They fight constantly in the same room. I guess it's an ego thing. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we heard a band that two of the members fight and put brothers in the mix? You know what's going to happen. I'll admit there's a bit of personal bias to it. I tell you what, it's just, it's one of the most fun songs to play. And when you're out there and you're jamming with a band and everyone's in sync, you've got the world on a string. Let's listen to Remedy by the Black Crows over Southern Harmony and the Musical Companion. One of the best songs of 1992. Okay, that was Remedy by the Black Crows, the number eight song of the 90s. What a good song. It's a song like if I'm in a band, like Jason said, and we're playing out, then I want to play that. That's a good song to play. And people know it. And if you don't know it, it still feels good. Yeah. That song is just so good. And it's on that Best of Black Rose CD too. So anything oh, on there. It? Okay. Uh, at least maybe the latter half of that CD isn't so good, but all those those good tunes are front loaded and it's it's so good. I'm surprised this song though made it, but it makes sense of, I guess, people's choices. Oh, the reason it made it is this is Jason's number one. Yeah overall and it was also on alan's and jeff's list and he's it's his number one 90s number one 90s yeah wow anyway let's go to number seven this is another one we had a bunch of people have different ideas on this is another jason top three song why is he dominating this whole list Uh, because he's putting it in the top one two and three (laughs) this is on my list it's on jake's list this is on ralph's list as well so you were on the right side on this one okay this is by the stone temple pilots off of the 92 podcast great sex type thing off of core great oh man this album i'm gonna lead because you've been leading for a while go for it man driving guitar playing a killer riff right off the bat the drums accent the great drum sound i love the drum sound Mm -hmm. the verse vocals are so deep and so thick builds up in the chorus song feels almost like a chase yeah chorus is amazing scott wilde used to sing this from the rapist point of view but he was worried that fans didn't appreciate it he was always kind of disappointed when fans would mosh to it at a live show right and he'd see like these greeks get out there and these college kids sure so when he realized he didn't get the point he used to wear a dress and smear lipstick on his face when he was right. singing the song and obviously metal audiences were not necessarily into guys wearing dresses on stage but they didn't consider themselves a metal band anyway Hmm. This is the first video STP ever did, but I'll let you continue the rest of the stuff. Well, so I got the album Thank You, and this was one of the songs, the album Thank You, along with Plush and a bunch of their big hits at that time. The crunching guitars throughout the verse, the vocal octaves, the fuzz and fill guitars in the chorus. And of course, you know, it's a horrible situation that generates a song, right? To try to tie it into the last song we had, so many songs are written because something really bad happened. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Welland actually knew a very, very young girl who was molested, and he wrote the song okay, after that. Know. But yeah, to your point, he thought the song was misinterpreted when he performed it, and so he tried to try to change that mantra with the whole dress and the, the lipstick and all that stuff. I'll admit, when I listened to the song the first time, I didn't quite understand what he was talking about. The lyrics are very subtle. You know, I got into STP in college. A friend of mine, classmate, 
turned me on to the that band and she'd seen them like you know nine or ten times and scott wyland's voice i i I have to go back to his voice because as good as the guitars are as good as everything else is in that group scott wyland's voice makes it and the ability for him to do different things with his voice is just phenomenal so let's listen to sex type thing by stone temple pilots off of core what a driving guitar song i love this song let's go That was Sex Type Thing by the Stone Temple Pilots, our number eight song for the entire 90s. Good tune. You, me, Ralph, and Jason are all on board on this. Can't argue. Everybody else, I don't know where they went. They don't know where they went. They don't know. I think they went to the other STP song. But What was the other one? Interstate. Oh, yeah. That's a good solid song. But it is. It is. Anyway, let's move to 1997. Steve and Jeff were on this podcast. One of the best songs that I don't necessarily equate with the 90s, but it came out in the 90s. And it's just one of these songs that is good acoustic. It's good loud. Any way you want to play it, it's by the Foo Fighters. It's called Everlong. Yep. Off of the color and the shape. This is on your list, Jake. Yep. This is... On my list, Jake's list, Jeff's list, Ralph's list, hmm. and this is Alan's number one. That makes sense. So it's a, it is a really solid song. It's timeless. Yeah, Dave Grohl's awesome. Yeah. So let's listen to what we talked about. Our number six, Everlong. Everlong is one of the best songs ever written. I I'm with you. I love Foo Fighters, but so my list, Foo Fighters for me, it um. And, and we did the Foo Fighters episode. We did the Foo Fighters episode. episode and it was 46. number one for us on, yeah, yeah, on yeah. Foo Fighters. So it had to be up there for me. Foo Fighters is the only rock band that still exists in a sense. Right? I agree. I second thank that. Thank you. Thank you. It's the I only think rock. Five Finger Death Punch disagrees with you. All right, fine. Or, or <laughs> Eagles of Death Metal, but actually bands that actually make melodic music that are still around. I think Foo Fighters is the only rock band that still kind of exists. But Everlong is a great song, though, right? I think people at Corn are pretty upset right now. <laughs> fine. <laughs> or, or people fine. at Slipknot. Let them send, let them send emails. That's yeah, fine. People from uh, Foo Fighters, I like a lot. I'm not, of course you uh, do. It's my number yes. one, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm just taking umbrage to the fact that it's the last rock band. I hate when people say that. No, 100%. So you there's, guys, are you guys judging Foo Fighters from a current no. state or no. of 1997? Of 1997. 1997. But Foo Fighters, at this point, <laughs> so we had left grunge. Kurt yeah, Cobain was dead. Post grunge. Kurt Cobain was dead. Soundgarden broke up. <clears throat> Pearl Jam was still around, but not necessarily doing albums. And then we had and a lot more of mellow. A- totally, they 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 rebelled against the grunge sound. Right, and we then we had a lot of the British pop bands. Right, you know the Oasis and pop music and the Blurs and so forth and so on that we talked about. Arctic Monkeys that we talked about earlier. Third Eye Blind, American music right. was kind of in. Yeah, but this was still, and I'm a sucker. I said it earlier for distorted guitars. Yeah, this was. The, yeah. This was the piece that still kept me going. I think right? the biggest Foo Fighters song of this period that connected with me mm-hmm. was the Mentos one. Big, Big me. Me. That was the first album. Yeah, that was a couple years earlier, 1995. 
I, I like that. About? This song, I think it was this out is of the touch biggest song that, of their career. Yeah, Everlong. Everlong. Yeah, this is their. Big song. This is because it works acoustically. Yeah. If Dave's playing it alone on guitar by himself, and he does it in concert. Yep. Oh, did they do it in concert? Yeah, yeah. They, they, she starts with it. Everlong. What tuning and, and, is oh, he says the first. Is that drop yeah. D? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's drop D. But that said, it's one of those songs that with one guitar, with a band, it works with but all sorts yeah, of things. It's a solid guitar. song, and he's a great song. And this came from one of the lowest points in Dave Grohl's life. Yeah. All of a sudden, he was homeless. Yeah, tell just, the story. Just divorced. He was locked out of his bank account because of some conflict he was having with the record company on or the amount of money he owed them. His drummer just left the band or was going to leave the band mm. because, well, Dave wanted to play the drums. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, like on and that. Pat Smear was about to quit because yeah. he was friends with his wife who saw yeah. what Dave did to his wife and he didn't know if he could be in a band with him and he left. That's not the, the public story, but that's the real story. And then later they made up and they're fine now. Dave Grohl, when he first came out with the yeah. riff for that, he, he kind of said it was kind of a riff off of a Sonic Youth type of feel. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. It fits. And interesting, there's some whispering at the end. It's a combination of three tracks. One track is a love letter being read. The other is a technical manual being read. And the other is a story about a father of one of the studio engineers being read. And it's all at the same time. You'll hear it at the end, but you won't hear it. But if you listen to the track, you'll hear it. It's a great song. Go it's listen fantastic. to it. I mean, and it's it just, it's well-crafted. And it was it's... in The Wolf on Wall Street, so you know it has to be good. <laughs> yeah, that's why I put it at number nine that's on my class, list. That's exactly. classic. Like it's, uh, but it's in a movie. Classic we movie. What number this... did this go on your podcast? One. One. Wow. Yeah, this is one. All, all, three, right. all three of us had it. And I'm happy that I put it at nine. Yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. Because in 97, Foo Fighters were on my radar, but they weren't. They hadn't hit it huge yet from a. But we're tying back to the song. Yeah. Uh, if the song even was released two years later as a single, it doesn't matter. It's the, it's when 97, that's when that song dropped. And if you right. bought that album, you found that song right away. Right. This album. song, if you took the producing aspect out of it, this song could be written at any decade. I agree. Right. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. And it was interesting, the whole Dave Letterman thing that went on. He loves this song. He had them come in and play it on the last the, show. last show ever, yeah. yeah. What year? May 20th, 2015 was his last episode. Oh, my birthday. Dave had it for me. Yes, he did. <laughs> All right, let's listen to the number one song overall of 1997, Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Everlong, I think one. the verses are a a haunt from the grunge days. The chorus kind of steps up into where are we going now, yeah. in my opinion. It helped them progress to the next album, the next and the next. It got them yeah. past the grunge And piece. really the sound of that era. Yes, yeah. It, yeah, right. it got them past that, that phase. They could leave it behind. Yeah. There you go. So what's your thought on Everlong generally? It makes sense that it's got to be on this list. Yeah. I would say maybe even higher, but we'll see. I also agreed with you, your comment about taking offense when people say that like Foo Fighters is the last rock band. Oh, I you know? hate that. I, I hate mean, that. I get that they're selling out arenas. That's something I would say part of it is attributed to them, but also just the, cl the music climate. There's a lot of other factors in there. So while I do give accolades to Foo Fighters, I don't want to like praise them too much to be like they're the carrying the torch for rock and roll and it's going to die when they die, you know? Yeah, no, no, no. There's yeah. so much else happening. And yeah. 
And I know, Jake, your new tat was with Greta Van Fleet, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, with all the girly faces on my butt cheeks. <laughs> oh, they had a feud with PC Quest, I think. No, somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I think Steven says they ripped him up. <laughs> no, but there's like Dirty Honey, and there's a lot of really good, yeah. good bands that are just straight rock, and then there's a lot of others that are much heavier. It's just difficult now in today's music climate to break to make a living and to to be able to reach big audiences and be able to fill an arena because it's just it's hard you know so foo fighters they i think they have a little bit of leverage because they came from the 90s they have the name dave girl's name they're nirvana lineage so it makes sense why he could like carry on the legacy and still be selling arenas but i don't know if foo fighters just came out today would it um be so I mean, but if you think of like arctic monkeys and there's so many other bands that are yeah, really solid, talented and, and, can... and popular yeah, but everyone was great but let's move into the top five jumping to what year do you think would be in the top five 1991 probably right i would hope this one is from 1991 and it is won by u2 number five okay. overall in the 90s off of Oxon, baby. <laughs> and this is with Ralph and Jeff in the podcast in 91. But let's before we get there, this was in Jeff's, Steve's, and the media's top three. Hmm. The only two people who didn't have this on their list is you and me. And, me. <laughs> and it's not to say I don't love this song. It's just something about it. I was like, yeah, it just didn't pop up in my, my list. It's but a good song. It I is, mean, absolutely, yeah. If you asked me to put my top 20 together, it would probably be on there. Huh. And this album as a whole, I did, there were maybe two or three songs I thought were singles off it. The rest was kind of, I don't know, maybe filler. Yeah, it isn't one of their best albums, but one is a great song. Yeah. And it is our number five of the 90s. Let's rewind back to Ralph and Jeff, who you may hear again in 91. Pretty, it's a beautiful song. It the, is. the melody, the lyrics. Again, I'm not a huge U2 fan, but this is a really good song, and I have to give them their due. My opinion may be their best song. U2 fans would argue with me, I'm sure, and say that I'm crazy. He knows that. He's crazy. But I'll stay quiet. It's a beautiful song. It was interesting as they were starting to write this song, they were having a hard time as yeah. a band and they decided to go, they're like, well, we need some more friction. We need to be in where things are changing, where they're happening. So they decided to record this in Berlin as the wall is falling. So they went there and hmm. thinking that being around a change will help inspire them. And it only ended up making them fight more. They were there for months mm -hmm. and they kept fighting and not talking. One is the only song that came out of, of those, those sessions. sessions yeah. Really? And they ended up going back to Ireland uh -huh. and finishing it off. Really? And then they got inspired. Yeah. Everything came together. This moment in U2 could have dissolved U2. Right. But it made them find their new direction and it made them a stronger band. This song potentially saved U2. And there, there's a couple of songs you hear for the first time. I remember listening to one and instantly go... This is going to make them millions and millions of dollars. You, you could just hear that this had radio hit sure. written all over it. Just a great, great song. I was lucky enough to see you two during this tour. Is this Zoo? Yes. Okay. Rosewell? No. Dodger Stadium. Okay. Fifth oh. row. Nice. Probably top five concerts for me. Really? Yeah. Just a wonderful, wonderful night. But you couldn't see all the TVs. <laughs> no, I could. I was close enough. I could see them all. Let's listen to one by you two of Akung Baby. Well, then you make me cry, and I can't be holding on to what you got. One love, one blood, one life you got. 
that was one by you two. Such a pretty song. It, it really is. is. I don't know if you guys have heard Everything Goes Back to Chris Cornell. He did a version of this, so it's... Chris he, Cornell sang one by you two? He sang one by you two, kind of. Kind of. Well, he was putting together an album of covers, and so he really liked this song, so he Googled one, enter. The lyrics that came up were that of one by Metallica. Oh my gosh. So he's like, well, what does this sound like? So he actually, if you Google it, YouTube it, it's on there, YouTube, uh, just say, you know, one Chris Cornell. It's U2's melody yep. over Metallica's lyrics. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. It is great. Well, let's listen for a second to Chris Cornell's version of one. U2 and Metallica. Yeah. Metallica lyrics, U2's melody. Let's listen for a quick second. That's just brilliant. Who would think of that? Chris Cornell. Good tune. It's, it's one of those tunes Absolutely. that you really like. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to pick one and you have to. So <laughs> there you go. Anyway, it was a number five. Five? Okay. A lot of people had that on their list. That was in the top three for Jeff, Steve, and the media, as I said. It was on Ralph, Jason, Allen, and Ben's list. The next one, Steve is the only person who didn't have the next one on our list. And I'm shocked that any person would not have our number four on their list. So let's listen and be surprised by it. And then we'll talk about I'm it. ready to shame him. There you go. Which is by a band called Metallica <laughs> off of the Black Album. And the name of the song is Enter Sandman on all of our lists. Kirk actually wrote the main riff for the song, mm. but mm-hmm. Lars helped arrange it. Oh, interesting. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. But he didn't repeat it initially. It was. Oh. It was. And then he moved on. And okay. Lars was like, no, okay, just repeat that first part like three times and then kick it off with the last one. Got it. So that's what Lars is really good at. People give him a lot of crap for drumming. <laughs> well, he is the drummer. Right. No, no, but I get it. <laughs> but he really arranges beautifully, and half of the Metallica songs wouldn't be as good as they were if Interesting. Lars wasn't in the I didn't show. know that. Yep. Uh, and the prayer in the middle is just a genius move, and uh, mm-hmm. lyrics are great. Although the song was not supposed to be about what was about. Well, what's it about, Rob? He originally wanted this to be about SIDS. Wow, what a the, the the baby dying at, at night. Yeah, no, a sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's it's, what this yeah. song was supposed to be about. Wow, how uh, uplifting of a Rock. theme. Yeah, but Bob Rock said no. You started crying. We're not going to call it that. Bob Rock said no. We're not going to do that. Let's uh, good let's, lord. Let's lighten it up. Nobody, wait, wait. Nobody... Enter Sandman is the lighter version of the original. Yes. yes. Good lord. <laughs> the lyrics were supposed to be about that. Take my hand off to Never Neverland because he's dead. <laughs> Alrighty, I, but, I'm not going to be able to listen to the song uh, the same but, way now. Let's not have a song about babies dying in the crib. So this is one of the most recognizable rock songs ever. Sure, absolutely. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, this agree. this took Metallica to a new level. Like after this song album, they're now touring the whole world, playing in front of sixty, yeah. seventy thousand. Well, fans. they were touring before that, but yeah. No, this this put them in a different. Yep. This put them in a different strategy. This, this went from arenas to stadiums. Stadiums, yeah. I so saw- I am not just to be clear. I am not a Metallica fan, but this mm. couldn't not be on my list. This could yeah. not be on my list. We're it both. Had to be we're both huge Metallica. I, I know you are, but they're and not. Justice for, for All. I've seen them. I saw them twice on that tour. Yeah, and at least. Or three times. I mean, three. I times. think I've said in a previous podcast. I saw them on Monsters of Rock, so that was after Master of Puppets, probably. Oh, that'd be great. Right? Yeah. What was before this album? That was then Justice for All. Yeah. 
Maybe it wasn't Justice for All then. It was probably yeah. Justice for All. Again, yeah, my fine. Metallica guy. So. All right, I got to give you my Metallica song, which I, I may have done already before, Rob. But So I'm going to see a band at the Whiskey Go-Go called Rat. And I walk in, there's three bands opening up. The, the first band that comes out, there's like 50 people at the Whiskey Go-Go. And four long hairs walk out and they just shred the place. It's Metallica. About the 20th time they ever played together. Right. Is this Dave or Kurt? This Dave, is, Dave Mustaine. It's this Dave. is before Cliff. Yeah, it's before oh, Cliff. Before Cliff? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, Ralph is a, a card-carrying member of yes, the Metallica fan club. I am. Literally. Oh, Lord. Now, is this when they stood in front? I'm going to ruin your story. They no, stood no, in front no. and turned their back and gave the middle finger to everybody when Rat came on? No. Oh, okay. At least I didn't see I've that. Heard, well, I've heard, those, I've heard those stories. Yeah, I, I've heard them too. But Yeah, um, I didn't know if this was one of those times. I think they were too young in the business at that point. I don't think they cared. <laughs> well, at that point, they were- Well, maybe before, they did it in San Francisco, yeah, not yeah, in LA, right? Yeah, before they moved to San Francisco. When yeah. they moved to San Francisco is when they blew up. Wait, this is pre-San Francisco? Yeah, yeah this is pre-San Francisco. Oh, they didn't come down. No, they were playing as oh, they were- they This is pre-San Francisco. They started in Norwalk. This is pre-San Francisco. Pre-San Francisco, yeah. Wow. Bob Rock, you mentioned Bob Rock a minute ago, but the, the Tom Tom sound that he gets from- Lars Ulrich, and then the crunching guitar that comes in after that. Bob Rock, great producer. He did wonders. I mean, the drums don't sound as good as St. Anger. I was just going to say, <laughs> did he do St. Anger? No, he did not. Good. I'm glad. Obviously I, not. I could, have too, I could have done those drums better. Uh, hitting a 55-gallon drum that snare. <laughs> oh, you'll love this quote. Uh, Kirk Hammett, when he talked about how he created this. Right. This is Kirk. Well, Soundgarden had just put out Louder Than Love, and I was trying to capture their attitude towards big, heavy riffs. And it was about two in the morning. I put on a tape. Didn't think about it. When Lars heard the riff, he said, that's great. Just repeat the first part four times, and then it made it even more hooky. And there's something to that wah pedal that makes my gut going. People probably say, hey, he's hiding behind the wah, but that isn't the case. It's just these frequencies really bring out, you know, the kind of aggression in my approach. Yeah. Something. And because I have to mention all my music and heroes. Soundgarden was in part of his quote, so I yes. And good. Kurt is a huge Michael Shanker fan, so I have to yeah, mention that all the time. So it, my my musical heroes have to be mentioned in every podcast. So. Well, good for you. Know. you. There you go. I didn't hear Zeitgeist. Yes, but we're still some time. I, I didn't do it in the last one either, Rob. So I was trying to hold off, but I'm going to throw a Zeitgeist in before we're done now, just because you said that. Oh, Ralph, what do you got? Anything? Yeah, just obviously wonderful song. Yeah, yeah. And I love the laugh at the end. That little nuances. <laughs> Again, producers, yeah, so right? Good. They're the ones that come up with those little pieces. That- Rob, you mentioned the prayer about halfway through the song. That's apparently yeah. Bob Rock's six-year-old son. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Don't have to pay anybody. Who's, yeah. th- who's 35 now <laughs> yeah, exactly. suing the band yeah. for yeah. child, uh, child endangerment? Oh, wait, that was another band. Yeah. Expl- exploitation. <laughs> All right. Let's play Enter Sandman by Metallica off their Black album or their Metallica album, depending on how you call it. Let's take a listen. was Enter Sandman. It's an iconic song. The Sid song. <laughs> Fantastic. But Alex. baby's dying, everybody. Have fun. Did Schindler's List come out this year, too? They got a great Woo-hoo! night watching all that. Yeah. that Think about all the, the dark places they write from, right? Uh, up until this point. Hmm. And he wrote it. He's like, hey, 
Enter Sandman. When the kid closes his eyes, they say the prayer, and the kid dies because he has SIDS. <laughs> you know, and the parents deal oh, with it. God. So it was like this heavy thing. And Bob Rock's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's a great song, but we'll never get anybody ever yeah. to play this it's song if that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, made them billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. Th- this song, it, it's... um. From the biggest metal band, probably, and it's ever really who everyone had this album though. Whether you liked metal or not, it was just one of those songs that broke. I'm sure, my wife had this album. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. just that thing. It was so catchy, and it just worked on so many levels. It's on rock stations and and everywhere, and it was just yeah. It's so it makes sense that this has to be on this list. Yeah, I mean that song alone is it's just so massive. I don't know. Yeah, that there's many songs above it, and there's one or two, but. I guess we'll get to that now as we move <laughs> to number three. What do you think about Soundgarden? They're uh, right up there in my all-time favorite bands. The song that we're going to talk about, everybody pretty much had it on their list except for Good. Ralph. Uh, Ralph, Ralph had another song by them on the list. Oh, okay. Ralph liked Rusty Cage. Oh. And he put he was the only one to put that one on it. I mean, it's a good tune. But, but everybody had Soundgarden on their list. Yeah. And, Probably uh, Black Hole Sun, right? This is Black Hole Sun. That makes sense. This was in my top three. This was in Ben's top three. Yeah. And everybody else had it on their Man, list. Man, I even remember the video came out and it was just on MTV every other time. And there was actually two different versions. I think we talked about this way back in our Soundgarden podcast. <laughs> Episode but, one. This yeah. Is 68. Right. But it's just that song that was everywhere. And again, same kind of principle as that Metallica song. Like it was on all radio stations. And it was originally about SIDS too. So uh, there you go. It's a, <laughs> a common thing here. That's how you write a hit. Write about babies dying. Yeah. <laughs> That's, but seriously, Black Hole Sun. One of the best things I love about it, but we'll probably talk about it here anyway. Mm. But the way they came at it at a totally different soundscape and a totally different attack than anybody really had ever done. It sounded so different. And I know I talk a little bit about the guitar sound in here. So okay. let's run to the number three song of the 90s. Let's join Jeff and I in our 1994 podcast as we talk about Black Hole Sun. Here we go. I know it's coming. It's really quick. Let's go. Our number one song is Hold My Hand by Hootie and the Blowfish. Just Fantastic. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Because <laughs> Jeff's like, there's one song that has to be here. There's one band that well, has to has, be here. It has to be on there. We, and, I'm not uh, stupid. I know which one. And is. this is the media's number two song. Yep. And this is both of our number one, one songs. Song. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> and, silly. And speaking of number one, this was the first episode we ever did on this podcast, Soundgarden, off of Super Unknown. And the song is Black Hole Sun. I love so many songs on this album. One of the best albums ever created in my mind. But Black Hole Sun... It's so intricate. It's so well put together. I had to put this song on there. Absolutely. Like you, I could have picked any number of songs. I was going back and forth. Is it Spoon Man or is it Black Hole I was Hole more Sun? fell on Black Days or this. Yeah. You more fell on Black Days. I was more of a Spoon Man just for the rest. Or 4th of July. But that, that, uh, 4th of July, you can do Dusty. We can do Mailman. I yeah. can go all the way through the entire album if you want. Like you were saying, so intricate. I mean, this song starts with two sus chords. It's G sus 2 and D sus 4 or something along those lines. But who does that? The start of the song is so weird and intricate, but it fits it perfectly. One of the cool things is they use that Leslie cabinet. Yeah. It's a rotating speaker they were using. A Leslie Model 16 rotating speaker cabinet. It's made specifically for organs. The right. guitar player is like, this would be a kind of a cool sound if we can figure this out. So yeah, you speed it up, slow it down by a foot pedal. It's a great little sound that people have been doing for years. But the structure of this song and the way it was put together and the vocals are done impeccably. 
And Chris has a great duet with Chris on this. He has a, like like most of them, right? Most of them. Well, Spoon Man, it's him and Ben, right? But uh, it, it's Chris's duetting with Chris. Um, Matt does it in concert, though. I mean, he picks up sure, you know, sure. certain parts. Again, one of my favorite bands. My Definitely my favorite band of the 90s. This song hits every note. And Chris was inspired by this because he heard a newscaster say the words Black Hole Sun, but that's not what he actually said, but that's what he heard. And he loved the title and he said, I got to write a song about that. And Chris always says, if I write lyrics that are bleak or dark, it usually makes me feel better. And a lot of people don't realize that Black Hole Sun's a pretty dark song. Oh my gosh. But what's well, a Chris Cornell song? Yeah, because it's poppy a little. Uh, yes. You know what yes. I'm saying? So, yes. so a lot of people who listen to it may not realize what the stuff's actually about. But yeah. It's great. I remember when Chris killed himself, someone said, well, his wife doesn't think, you know, it kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, no, it didn't. Have you been listening to his lyrics for the past five years? Right. Everything is dark. It's just the way he was. That's just him. Chris Cornell said, the title is, is more or less kind of a bit of asking for hope or feeling sort of grasping for some kind of hope out of depression or feeling sort of lost or sad but the lyrics were more or less inspired by the music so it's kind of ethereal and dreamy and it's you know i, I didn't really go for anything specific there kind of. yeah i think this is the song too where dave Grohl said this was what the grunge era was trying to get they were all trying to write like the beatles and sound like black sabbath and this is the song that did that and the producer kind of worked with chris and he said chris the songs he initially gave him Mm-hmm. He said, oh, those are good, but why are you writing like this? He goes, well, I have to make it sound like Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you're Soundgarden. Yeah. Anything you write, the band will make sound like Soundgarden. Yeah. Write a variety of different stuff and bring it back to me. Yeah. And then he said when he went through the tracks he sent them, mm-hmm. the first one was uh, Fell on Black Days, which he liked, and there was a couple other ones that were good in there. But then when he heard Black Hole Sun, his mouth just fell to the floor. Yeah. And he's like, "I as a producer... For years and years and years, that's never happened to me. Mm. That at the end of that song, I just wanted to listen to it again and again. And I really didn't have to do too much to it. It was just phenomenal from the yeah. demo. I know Chris said this in the past that Kim's job was to keep Soundgarden heavy, right? I'm going to write the songs. I'll write the melodies. But Kim, you figure out a way to keep us heavy somehow in this. One of the cool things I learned, I, there is a great interview with the producer of is Super it, Unknown. Was it Brendan O'Brien or who? No, not Brendan O'Brien. Michael Beinhorn, he uh, talked for an hour about Black Hole Sun. Really? Yeah. And he started talking about the way they recorded this album. And a couple of things jumped me. You know, the distorted vocals in this track? Mm -hmm. What they did is they had this old beat up Sun PA. They didn't do that with an effect. They mic'd a bad PA. One of the things he mentioned was, this is as geeky as we're going to get in this podcast. No, keep going. You know what vocal mic Chris used on Super Unknown? I believe it was a Neumann, but it was a modified Neumann. U87. Yeah, modified U87. And the great thing about it is he blew five of those. That's what I heard. Absolutely. (laughs) Through the album. (laughs) I've heard that secondary from that same documentary. I didn't watch the documentary, but I heard someone else commenting on it. Yeah. So he had those Neumanns. Those, those are inexpensive mics, by the way. Yeah, $3,700 a piece. <laughs> yeah, blew four of them. I mean, you have to listen to it. Listen to the isolated vocals on some of the songs from that album. In my eyes, indisposed, in disguises no one knows, has the face, lies the snake, in the sun, in my disgrace. It's amazing. This Remember, this is all pre-Pro Tools. And this won a Grammy for Best Hard Rock Performance. So It won a 
three or four Grammys for different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the album did. Yeah, this song was best. The album, this, this one just won that one. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic song, fantastic album. If, you, if you've been living under Rockford past 25 years and haven't heard this album, you should probably go out and get it. And this is one where you should listen to it from beginning to end. Don't skip. Don't hit shuffle. Start with My Wave and end on 4th of July. Yeah. There you go. And it's my opinion, too, because we both had it at number one. We yeah. matched. Wonder Twin Powers, activate. All right. Form of. <laughs> Form of the number one song. All right. Let's listen to Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden off a of super unknown. Fantastic album. Let's listen. Jake and I were talking, and the coolest thing, I remember buying the Super Unknown CD, and it came with this extra CD. It was like a bonus CD yeah. called Psalms, S-O-M-M-S. Nothing biblical. It's just S-O-M-M-S, not <laughs> S-P-S-A. Yeah. It's not that. <laughs> Psalms. But the, I, I remember they had a Devo cover on it, yeah. and it was Girl You Want, and I just love that. The Sabbath S- song. Sabbath song. Mm-hmm. And they, they had a bunch of stuff on there. Really worthwhile. You can check that all out on streaming now. It's on their EPs page man could talk about soundgarden all day yeah we even did once yeah figure way back that may be one that we want to revisit one of these days agreed anyway that was number three black hole sun we're only two left the 90s are awesome so far so let's remind people of the songs we discussed already rooster run around self-esteem creep remedy sex type thing everlong one Enter Sandman and Black Hole Sun. Only two left. Hmm. So let's see what the number two was. Let's not even, I won't even leave it off, but let's just say most people had this on their list except for two people, which is me and Ben, which you can talk to me about later. <laughs> All right. So let's listen to number two. Jake doesn't know what it is. This song, the album was named after a basketball player. The album was named after Mookie Blaylock, mm. whose number was 10. Mm -hmm. And that's why the album was called 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our number two song overall is Pearl Jam. And the name of the song is Jeremy. And we all had this on our list. Yeah. Ralph had it highest on his list, which was his number one. Number one. Yeah. I was number three, so I'm not far behind you. I was three as well. There we go. Just a wonderfully written rock song. It's written by Jeff Amanda, the bassist for Mm -hmm. uh, Pearl Jam. Lyrics by Eddie Vedder. The third single off of 10. Obviously a wonderful, wonderful song, but I'm not a big video guy, but this video was very interesting. It's Eddie Vedder. He's basically singing and looking very, I'm going to say demented. The song is unfortunately about a very heavy subject where... It was a a true story. Yeah, correct. True story. Was it about babies dying in the crib? It's just about... Yeah. (laughs) We're going to stay very dark where a a young man in high school walks into his class. His name was Jeremy Deal. He was a 15-year-old sophomore at Richardson High School in Richardson, Texas. On January 8th, 1991, he walked into the front of the class with a pistol. That same year that this was out? When he was writing it. This is the last song that made the album by the way. He uh, put it in his mouth and blew his head off in front of the class, which is what the song's about. And if you look at the video, that's why it's so dark. Correct. Yeah. But Vetter, when you look at it, he looks normal at the beginning, but as he's going, you can see the craziness. Very demented. demented is the word, yeah. And it's almost like he's the devil trying to goad him into doing this. Yep. Because that's the question, right? You know, the question always is why, why, why? Right. Right. So I think he's trying to answer it, but it had to be something outside. Yeah. But just obviously dark song. 
dark lyrics, but it's just a fantastic a one, yeah, song. No, it's just a, I hesitate to use but the, beautiful, but it is a great song. Let's go with that. No, but it's super well written. It, yes. it is beautiful in the sense of lyrically and yep. melodically. And emotionally. I mean, yes. there's an emotional ride you take on in this. And even the, the set and the video, not to make this just about the video, but they have that red sort of like tapestry background yeah. Yeah. and they have the, the chalkboard, chalkboard yeah. hanging by wires. Originally, they had him actually shooting the gun off and seeing some of the blood come out in the video, but they had a Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't a flight. But you'll see him bring the gun to his mouth in the video and then they cut to the classmates. Now where you see the blood on it's them. It's the yeah. splatter. Yeah. Right. And like kind of a frozen moment. So Pearl Jam brought this video to Epic. And Epic just said, there's absolutely no way that you're going to get this on MTV and we're not going to finance this or promote this at all. Mm -hmm. And then Jeremy became such a huge hit that eventually they changed it around a little bit, softened it up apparently, and then released it. Oh, a little it. bit. Yeah. yeah just just yeah, a little said, bit. Just the graphicness yeah. at the end. Yeah. 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 But the song itself, the way it's structured, I mean, the beginning, you think that's a, you think that's a guitar at the beginning, but it's a bass. I think it's a 12 string mm -hmm. yeah. that Jeff's yeah, playing. It is. And it's it, you amazing. Know, it, yeah. It's a really good song. And again, we do yeah. want to say beautiful, but it's a really good song. Yeah. It, very, very good. Let's listen to number two, Jeremy by Pearl Jam. Off of the 10 album. One of the albums you should own if you don't. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. And actually, buy this on vinyl. Come on, step it up. All right, let's listen to Jeremy. Our number two. So number two, Jeremy by Pearl Jam off of the 10 album. Yeah, that's it's it's still a great song. At the end of the day, Jeremy was the big song that broke them. And yeah, it's just so massive. Once again, that's a song everybody knows. Yeah. Like you said, he talks about the video in there. You, you stopped and watched it every time. It kind of captures a lot of Eddie Vedder's like angsty singer syndrome that he has. Like when he's his eyes kind of roll back in his head when he's singing and just gets real intense. And I think that carries over a lot. The visual. Yeah, it was a little disturbing. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> so there's only one song left. And I think we kind of know what the best song of the 90s I'm are. Glad because I think this makes sense. And it's the only song that really could be, although there are two people who did not have it on their list, which is mind-blowing. Let's ben, call them out. Let's shame them. Ben and Jason. Shame. Forget, didn't have this on their list at all. <laughs> at all. Ralph and Alan had it out of their top three. Jeff, you, Steve, the media, and I had it at their number one song. Yeah. As you can imagine, it's by a small band from Seattle, a little trio. Melvin's. No, no, I would have thought it was Melvin's, but it's not. It's Nirvana. Nirvana. This is off the 91 podcast, of course, and it smells like Teen Spirit. One of the biggest songs possibly ever sure. on Spotify. This is over a billion plays. Wow. It's legit. If you were live in the 90s, at one point, just even if it was for a, a fleeting day or week, this was your favorite song. Mm -hmm. No matter who you are. I don't yep. care if you're a yep. Depeche Mode person or you're everybody. Right. For one moment of their 90s experience. Totally. Like we said, it transcends genre. Like people who wouldn't even buy this tape had it and they just put it in their, their mix there because it was just this catchy song worked on so many levels and yeah, just hit And this was the album that made grunge popular. 
if Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit isn't grunge, then there's no grunge. Yeah. Th- this is the one that just blew all the Seattle bands up, even if they were out already. It made Alice in Chains more popular. It made yeah. Soundgarden more popular. It made everybody more For popular. For the cause, yeah. So let's see how we discussed it. This is with Ralph and Jeff again. One album that came out in 1991. What album could it be? Gee, I, I don't wonder. know. I could guess, but never mind. I'll figure it out. Oh, oh. actually, <laughs> never mind is the album, and the artist is Nirvana. Of course, we have this on our list. What's the song, Rob? Smells Like Teen Spirit. This is my number one, Jeff's number one, and this is Ralph's number five. Yeah, it has to be on the list, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, can't, it can't not be in the top 12. Where it falls in, okay, fine. It's got to be in there. This changed a lot. Yep. Everything. This changed music overall. This introduced grunts, but it killed the hair metal. Yep. Because it, it looked and sounded different. There was nothing that sounded like this. The video was what really blew this up. I mean, we'll play it on like Headbangers Ball or something. Right. And they played it after midnight that once. And yep. the everything blew up from it it's like oh my god what you, is this yeah when you hear that and you see the video of these high school kids just destroying the gym and they're going crazy and the angst in his voice teenage angst yeah yeah and it's this thing it's like oh my god this isn't motley crew this isn't that this is these guys seeing it from somewhere else this is rock but different he was more raw in the sense of it wasn't flash it was just T-shirt and jeans. Flannel. Playing Jaguars. And, and almost intentionally sloppy. Yeah, because we weren't worried about the flash and the perfection and the neatness of everything. Maybe they were in the studio, maybe they were behind the scenes, but it didn't come off that way. We're wearing T-shirt and jeans, we're not wearing spandex, and, yeah. and we're not teasing our hair up. And we're just playing straight ahead music. But the music was sophisticated in a sense. It wasn't power chords the whole way through. It was... We're going to play something at a nine in there or yep. at a seven and do something a little bit different. Even though... Even though he didn't really know he was doing that. He didn't really know he was doing it. The reason that a lot of those guys did it is because it sounded cool. Mm-hmm. And it purposely sounded different than the hair metal guys. Mm. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, it changed music in the 90s. Because now everybody's copying grunge. Yep. Those guys, let's say, the reason we wore flannels is because they were cheap. Next thing we know, a few years later, we look in catalogs and the $5 shirts we bought are about 300 bucks now. Yep. Right? And it was flash in the pan it died a few years later but we need a nevermind album in 2021 is what we need we, we need a shift here and it'll happen right at some point I'm i don't waiting. know when but it'll happen have you heard the last greta van fleet album <laughs> yes i did it was called into the outdoor into the outdoor <laughs> oh it's called zeppelin 4 uh, sorry digress the story behind mm-hmm. this song you guys know it no. Why don't you tell us, Rob? Okay. Kurt dated the drummer, Toby Vale, from Bikini Kill. They <laughs> dated Dave Grohl? I yeah. missed this whole thing. No, 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 no. Toby Vale from Bikini Kill, uh, before Courtney, but she used Teen Spirit deodorant. Smells like Teen Spirit was and, a, yes. And, and one day, the bands were partying at Kurt's apartment, and when the lead singer Kathleen graffitied, Kurt smells like Teen Spirit on his bedroom wall, seeing like, even though he's moved on to somebody else, he, he still, still has. He still has Teen Spirit on him. Meaning right. that she still kind of marked her territory, if you will. Six months later, she got a call from Kurt asking if he could use what she wrote on the wall for a lyric. Hilarious. And Hannah said, I thought, how's he going to use Kurt smells like teen spirit in a lyric? Watch me. <laughs> if you watch the commercial, it'll actually, it'll explain a lot of why Kurt did what he did. Because he was the antithesis of it. It's a physical sensation. Teen spirit. And a perspirant made for you and your generation. Teen spirit. A physical sensation with fragrance is made for you. Teen 
spirit. The harder you play, the harder it works. Team spirit. Just for team content. Yes. Oh, by the way, was he actually in the commercial? He was. I don't think he was in the commercial. Oh, okay. I'd have to look a little closer, but <laughs> no. I'm, I, I'll I'll have to go on a limb and say probably not. But I do want to say one thing, Rob, about this song. That this song was in the zeitgeist for this year and from now on. It's there. It's in the zeitgeist. It really is. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about zeitgeist? What's happening here? Going it's, back to a lot of couple episodes before or whatever. Every eight episode I've done before. Yeah, he he had mentioned zeitgeist in it, and the zeitgeist mm-hmm. is pretty much like in the. Culture, culture it's out there, yeah. and it's, it's a Pumpkins album, right? It probably it is. Was, yes. Yes, it was, yes. I think that or is. Yes. Yeah. I didn't make the word up. I mean, it's yeah. around. You know? but, but we kind of parlayed it through that. And, yeah. And, yeah. and Jeff's like, no, I own that. And I'm like, okay. So I needed, I needed to add Zeitgeist in because Robin mentioned it earlier in this podcast <laughs> that I hadn't mentioned it yet. So I wanted to make sure I put that in there. The video was huge for this song. Gigantic. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Uh, it was inspired by the movie Rock and Roll High School by the Ramones. Mm. And the 1979 really? movie called Over the Edge, which is where they showed uh, kids destroying a high school. That's the only <laughs> oh. thing about it. They were going to say right? kids dying in their crib, Rob. I think that was, I thought that was a theme for tonight. And just as a, a holy sidebar, Nirvana has recently been sued their estate, who's Dave Grohl, oh, no. by Spencer Eldon, who's the baby on the cover. Yeah. He sued the band for child pornography mm-hmm. <laughs> for a money grab. And I love Grohl's quote on this. He goes, I didn't force you to get that never mind tattoo on your arm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Girls the best. Or do like a, a shoot. Grab, yeah. yeah, do a shoot of him naked in a pool. Or he was wearing trunks. Trying Redoing to... the shoot, yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, but, it's all right. But, but yeah. anyway, the clean verse. Yes. Just clean guitar, almost dry, nothing guitar, into the heaviness of when he steps on the distortion pedal. That's how he really did dynamics yeah. in the song. Yes. By the way, Girls a pretty good drummer also. Oh, he's an amazing drummer. <laughs> the difference between Bleach and Nevermind mm-hmm. is Dave Grohl. Yeah, yeah. It's when Dave Grohl came on board, they just it lifted them it's, to that next level, and it put them above everything. What is it? You're only as good as your drummer, and he just adds that little bit of groove, yeah. right, that you just it's hard to find. All right, let's listen to <laughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, the album that changed everything, Nevermind, our number one for 1991, and probably the 90s, let's be real. Yeah. Let's listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit. One smells like Teen Spirit. That was a great song, though. Can we oh, talk about that? Oh yeah, song? Oh, it was fantastic. Even all those grunge. One of the things that separated them was they were all really well recorded. They really pushed the boundaries on right on how they recorded, how they mic yeah. the drums, what rooms they were micing the drums in. I mean, they did a really good job with how they actually captured the recording. It's so true. If you listen to Nevermind, you listen to Bleach. Two things you'll notice is Dave Grohl, and you'll notice which Fig's producing and how good it sounds. Yeah. Compared to the garage, it sounds like in Bleach. Right. And and that's what he did well was to pair the garage rock punk bands, the rawness, and then polish it up, clean it up a little bit. And then, like you said, what Dave Grohl introduced where he's doing the harmonies and kind of selling it as like, well, the Beatles did this. So it kind of worked to bring that rawness in with the polished sound. And like you guys said, this changed everything. This yeah. I mean, oh, my God. And what a great decade. I mean, we, we yeah. just went through the whole thing. We started with Mbop of all That's songs. That's funny. That's so funny, that song. And we ended with Smells Like Teen Spirit. But to remind you where we've been, now let's rewind. <laughs> 
<laughs> Start with number 12, Rooster. Number 11, Runaround. Number 10, Self-Esteem. Number nine, Creep. Number eight, Remedy. Number seven, Sex Type Thing. Number six, Everlong. Number five, One. Number four, The Sid Song. <laughs> number three, Black Hole Sun. Uh, Enter Sandman, obviously. Number three, Black Hole Sun. Number two, Jeremy. And number one, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Wow. I want to listen to this playlist now. This oh, top 12. oh, this is a great playlist. Uh, Even Mbop. Well, maybe not, but the rest of it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good ending to laugh about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. I really thank you, everybody who's paid attention to this cast this year. What a wonderful 90s. If you like some of the stuff, check out all the casts that are associated with it, the years, all the, the 1990 podcasts is amazing that we just finished. So dig in, and if you like a band, check out those podcasts, because we have tons of those too. So much stuff coming down the pipe. Weezer, Alice in Chains, System of a Down, Allman Brothers, Black Sabbath, The Police, Garth Brooks, Huey Lewis, Lonely Island, U2, and so much more. Crazy smattering of Bernard Have a uh, wonderful new year, everybody. And thank you, everyone, who's been listening to this podcast and been part of the community. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us. We love you. Thank you, Jake, man, for doing all these. You've done Such like a blast. so many episodes. Man, thank you all the people who did a podcast for us, too. It's just you guys have been wonderful. Keep my boy uh, Ben in your prayers. I'm not going to tell you why, but just pray for him. And pray for mm. his, uh, everything going on in his life. That would be helpful for everybody. And I will see everybody soon with Weezer coming up before you know it. Early February. Mm -hmm. See you then. All right. <laughs> Bye.